0: church family and every week we always have new people coming and uh, be able to just enfold people into a community. I want to take a little bit of family time though. Um, so enjoyed last week's service. Didn't you enjoy last week's service, the energy and the life of it? And uh, when Joe uh, Yarbrough, uh, he texted me late Tuesday after youth group and he says, you won't believe it, we had 40 kids and then there was another five or eight young adult leaders and I'm like, that is just so sweet. Just um, the excitement of last week, kids coming back from student ministry camp, and God working in the hearts of people. But um, this is adult time now. No, you're not going to get beat up on. I just um, know that we oftentimes come and go on the course of a week, and um, God's working in your life. Maybe you've had a God sighting where that had to be God working there. Um, Or maybe there's a prayer request saying, this happened this week, and I just want my church family to know uh, to be praying about it. And so this gives you an opportunity just to pull a seat up around the family table and for us to spend some time with one another. One of the advantages of not being a part of a really large church, and I've led large churches and small churches and all the way in between at different times, is that you can take some family time. And so I just thought we would do that this morning. Maybe there's nobody. Maybe there's several. I don't know, but... uh, You know, in Scripture, when they met in the big uh, meetings, they had big meetings. They also met in house to house. And they broke bread. They had fellowship. They ate together. And they would share. And many times in the sharing in the small group setting, in the home setting, um, God would bring a particular person uh, with a word for that day of encouragement. I mean, we have a direction we're going in God's uh, Scriptures today. But maybe there's just something happening in your life Uh, Maybe there's a God moment. Maybe there's a word that you would have God say to us, maybe to encourage somebody. Um, Maybe it's a prayer request. So this is the mic. It's wireless, so I will bring the mic to you. Just stand up, say your name. What's God doing in your life? Or maybe a prayer request. It's adult time. Name. Hi, I'm Sarah. Oh, it's not on. on. Now you're
1: on. Um, I have to share something that God, like, I don't know where to start. My parents divorced when I was in my early 20s, and I'm 43 now. And I have not had a relationship with my mom since she left. Um, Without being specific, she had an affair with someone who was very close to our family, and so she left and has stayed away for the most part. I see her maybe once a year. And um, this, I'm going to cry, darn it. All right. Um, we prayed for my mom, and she is a believer, but I think her guilt keeps her away. And this past week, I got to have lunch with my mom for the first time as an adult like in a restaurant. <laughs> and it almost was surreal, and I was really nervous, which is so bizarre. And she was a great mom when I was little, and I learned to be a mom from her, so we were very close, which in many ways that person died. And so, you know, I had my other family members praying, and I was nervous that we wouldn't have anything to talk about. And so we prayed that that... You know, God would provide conversation, and it's silly it was at the American Girl doll store because we took Noel for the first time, and so we went to sit at the table. And God is so good; there was a box on the table with like conversation starters, <laughs> and it was just so funny because I, you know, she has no idea like how God put the box there, and it just it was it was really neat. It was neat to be able for her to get to know me in ways that she probably doesn't, and the same for me to get to know her. So. I say that just to say that it's never too late, like in those relationships that are broken and have been broken for a very, very, very long time, that God is still working in behind the scenes even when maybe it doesn't feel like it.
0: Amen. That's a praise. It's a real praise. It's great. I never knew the American Girl Store could actually do something ministry-oriented. It usually just drains my wallet. So, anyway. okay. That's great, though. Thanks. Someone else. God working, God citing, maybe something happening. Just pick it
2: up. Uh, I'm Mike. Uh, Most of you that know me have been in this church for a while know that I work with the sheriff's department. And I'm the chaplain over here at Southwest. And I had an opportunity this week because of everything that's been going on to speak to all the deputies. And uh, we pulled them all together for three different meetings and got to share with them that the vast majority of the public in the United States is really behind them. Three more deputies were killed today. Where was that, Louisiana? Yeah, three more were shot today. I just, uh, I beg you to pray for our first responders, our military, guys in uniform, and ladies in uniform. Because they're on the front lines. And they'll just always run to the trouble. So just keep them in your prayers. Thank you.
0: That's so true. So true. Heavy, heavy weeks. Someone else. God's sighting. God's working. for a concern. God. I feel really amiss if
3: I didn't mention that a bunch of us women had the privilege of hearing um, Beth Moore yesterday and Friday night, and she spoke on coverings. Adam and Eve covered themselves with leaves, man-made coverings, but God had a plan not too many chapters later. It says God clothed them with animal skins. In other words, that sacrifice of animals began early. And she talked about how we have the ultimate covering. God covers us with his blood, and that covering is so tight, he holds us. And it says that even God was so proud of his son that he blessed that. And I feel like I have a double hold, Mm. she said. And I never thought of it that way, that God is holding us and we have that in Christ. Mm. And then I just, I'm a retired RN, kind of a registered nut now. (laughs) <laughs> I remember early on, you worked in a nursing home, and the one thing the people at night wanted was just if you'd hold their hand. They wanted that human touch. They just wanted you to hold their hand. So I just thought of that. I've got a God that's holding tight onto my hand. He won't let go of me. And I am blessed. It's a double hold. And I even say, I'll add a triple hold. The Holy Spirit's with me (laughs) to add even more. So I am so thankful. But we need each other. We need to hold each other up. We need to grasp each other and let God do what he needs to do. It's terrible what's going on now, but I've got a God that knows everything that's going on. It didn't take him by surprise. But my God is a great God. And he loves each one of us, and wants us to hold on and for the ride. We're quite an adventure we're going on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you, God, for great words. Some of the other ladies went to the Beth Moore deal. I just want to add to that, and I don't
4: need much.
0: Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> do I need much? Gotta okay. say your name
4: first. Uh, when we were there, she went from Genesis to Revelation, and the music was beautiful. And they came in and. Great group singing, and at the very end, the entire auditorium a cappella was singing. And to hear all the women, look at all the women, I got so excited for heaven. He does have his hand on us to the very end. It was wonderful. Go next year if you can. <laughs> Great.
0: A couple more. God doing something, working in your life, things are changing.
1: Hi, I'm Amanda, and um, God really answers prayers. I've been praying for a long time for an answer with my job, and um, God put obstacles in my way this week, and I finally talked to my boss, and I'm working from home. And it might not sound like a lot, but for our family, it's a really big deal, and I'm just so thankful that he answered our prayers.
0: That is great news. <laughs> <laughs> right Good okay, okay. You good? Okay. <laughs> you do, do well. so, um,
4: I'm Adriana, and I'm sure a lot of you know me. And I really this is like a huge thing for me to stand up here in front of all you guys. But um, I had the pleasure of meeting a lot of you, uh, the Abners, the Bowman's, Joe, Rebecca, Debbie. Um, and many of you uh, haven't had the pleasure yet of meeting um, Sarah. I just want to first of all thank you guys specifically for, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here today and last week and a lot of other times. Um, and I've gone from toxic situations and toxic situations for a long time. Um, and thanks to you guys and thanks to getting closer to God. I know what the word friend and family means. And... My prayer request is just that I can keep going and I know there's going to be bumps and um, but with family and friends and God, there's only way I can do it. And I just, failure can't be an option anymore for me and for my three babies who have put up with me dragging them all over the place. So I just want to say thank you to all you guys specifically.
0: Thank you, Adriana. (laughs) Adriana um, came here a few months ago and um, I hope she, you don't mind me saying this, but she came and met with me. And uh, pretty broken, busted life. Moved here from Arizona from a busted marriage. And um, I sat and I shared with Adriana. She shared genuinely with me. And I gave her some encouragement and some direction. And I've never seen anybody quite like her in her state Of existence, she chose to do everything I said. (laughs) Now I'm not saying hey, I got great advice, but there's just some common sense. And but when you're hurting and when life's upside down, it's hard to do everything. But as she walked down, a lot of those instructions, she's now a part of our life group and stuff. um, Just seeing God take broken things and make beautiful things out of it. And uh, many, many of you maybe have helped. Um, She was able to move. Uh, from being with her stepdad, which was sort of a tough situation, into her own place in Hemet this week. And we were able to help move her in. A lot of thanks to Chris Abner over here who got the U-Haul. Many people donated. Uh, you have a whole apartment full of belongings, and you had nothing. And God just came through in a big-time way. And so just want to <laughs> get highlighted that. So and thanks, thanks to those of you who um, provided things. And uh, that's, that's what the body of Christ is for, the family aspect, right? Um, I, I'm always um, amazed by how Satan can get people isolated and lonely in life. Brokenness, things break down, maybe you're in that situation, and then he moves you into isolation. And it's the most painful torture, if you will. It's the punishment that they put the bad boys in, in prison, right? Isolation kind of thing. And you see people become isolated in life. And one of the greatest healing things is to join together back into community and to be a part of what God intended for you to have, which was rich friendships, some people ahead of you, some people behind you, encouraging you, taking one step at a time. I had the opportunity through Modern Technology this week to FaceTime a friend of mine. Um, My wife and my two little ones are back in Indiana visiting friends and family for a period of time. And uh, I had a gentleman who actually used to be part-time staff at the church I was at, And um, he had two boys. We continued to keep them, uh, trying to ramp them up to encourage them to be a part of the student ministry. They would come and go here and there, and their boys, you know, 28 and 30. And um, tragically, a few uh, weeks ago, uh, they both roomed together, the 28- and 30-year-old did. Um, The 28-year-old took the 30-year-old's life. Where do you go with that? I mean, you've lost a son. And now you have another son who in one sense you've lost as well. And I was um, able to join with my family as they were praying over um, the dad and his wife. And I told him, I said, you know, it's just a beautiful thing to be able to lean into community during hard times. A couple of weeks ago, they sent out a Facebook picture. And the people part of the church church I came from, they uh, had surrounded the house of this husband and wife and they were holding hands and somebody took a picture of them just doing a prayer box around the whole house. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of what God intends for us to have, the community of Christ to be able to join together, to walk through tragic times and also to be able to celebrate great times. And so I know what the adversary wants to do. He wants to isolate people. And um, I just want to thank you for leaning into being a church family. It's one of the most powerful witnesses we have that we are the body of Christ to do the ministry of Christ, his hands and his feet and his words and his embrace. And we should not neglect that. Keep your eyes and your ears open for how God wants you to lean in to helping and encourage a person or speak truth into someone's life. You will find great meaning and purpose when you join in the kingdom of God to be a part of his family work. And it's one of my prayers for us as the awakening, that we would just truly be a family that loves and cares and supports one another. Yeah, we got warts, we got problems, we'll offend one another. We're all human, right? We're sinful people. But you press through that, and you become who God intends for the church to be, and that is his body. I want to pray in light of um, Mike's uh, prayer request, uh, really, for uh, the sheriffs and uh, police officers as well as military. As you well know, this has been a pretty traumatic week once again on the world scene. And um, we have the opportunity to pray in spirit to those people who are even more deeply affected than us who watch something on the news. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, in this moment, we are so grateful that we, if we are followers of yours, have been invaded by your spirit and we get the chance to come together as a church family, to love and to support one another. And Lord, together we as a church family in this moment would just like to pray. Uh, in particular for the officers um, that serve and give their lives uh, day in and day out to be able to be of an encouragement and to bring law and order to this land. Lord, you know the individuals taken back. Lord, I understand through um, many people involved that uh, a lot of times the morale just really drops and there's discouragement. Jesus, we pray that you would uh, speak uh, words of encouragement to even the most broken, discouraged a person that's a part of whether it's local sheriff's office or somewhere else, Lord, that you would just minister to them your encouragement and draw them to you. Lord, on the world scene, we just continue that um, we would pray in the Spirit against the evil that's in the lands. Lord, this is not right when we see lives literally mowed down by a truck, people killed, children killed. Lord, evil exists. You know evil exists, you confronted it, and you came and you died on a cross and was raised from the grave to break evil. And so, Lord, we know one day that you will demolish evil upon all the earth, but in this particular age, Lord, we just know that we need to intercede and pray that the enemy would be held at bay and that those who are affected and broken by such tragedies and trauma, that you would minister your grace and your power. And then, Lord, here on a local front, just with us as a church family, maybe there's someone here this morning, and I just pray, God, if they are in a place of brokenness, lostness, maybe they feel lonely, solitary, confinement kind of situation in their own life, that you would redeem them and you would bring them back to you. If they've never had the opportunity to come to you before, that they would discover what it means to have a relationship with you. Jesus, we pray here in this room for the needs that are represented. May you minister. Your grace and your strength and your encouragement and your hope. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good deal. Um, you know, I forgot my little clicker thing back there. Joe, you going to work with me here on this? All right. Um, we are in this series called On the Brink that we're scattering sort of through uh, the summer. On the brink, which way can you go? You can go forward in a great thrilling kind of way, or you can fall in a traumatic kind of way. And Jesus Christ speaks to his church, those who are part of his body, and he brings instruction to them in the first three chapters of Revelation in particular. Now, Revelation is the book at the the end of the Bible, and a lot of people don't jump in and work with it because sometimes it can be a little scary. But don't be scared by the book of Revelation. It's just God speaking to the Apostle John on an island off the coast of Turkey that he needed to write some things down and send it to the churches and that some of the things that he was going to send, though they're a little bit like, my goodness, really, were ultimately for their encouragement and their hope. And so he pens, John does, a letter to the seven churches in Revelation. But I want to throw up a diagram for you, and this kicks back to a couple years ago, Uh, That gives us some context, because a lot of times we don't have the context for what is happening in our world, especially in light of things like this week. You're like, my goodness, will things ever end? Is there going to be an end to evil? What's going on in our world? All right. This is the big picture. I carry this picture in my mind day in and day out. And in this picture you have on the left side. Creation, things began, Genesis 1. On the right side, you have the end of the book of Revelation, which describes a new heaven and a new earth. Those are the two ends of a timeline. But the timeline on the right continues to go on and on and on, for eternity is forever. And scripture, if you studied it, it gives reference to the present age and the age to come. We live in the present age, but we long for the age to come when all things will be made right, when evil will be done away with, when peace will prevail and beauty will always prevail. And there'll be glory and gladness and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more sorrow evermore. Scripture teaches that adamantly. The last two chapters of Revelation read it because it's very encouraging. But... We're not yet fully in the age to come. We live in this present age. But Jesus Christ, when he came, he brought the age to come into the present age. And that's uh, depicted there by the cross, the first coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus said he's coming again. When's he coming again? Well, at the end of the last days. When are the last days? Well, Scripture teaches that on the other side of Jesus Christ, dying and being raised from the grave... He has said that we're in the last days. Now, there's some reference to the latter days, which is the last of the last days. But we are in the last days. Now, when these letters were written, they were written on the other side of the cross in the early years. All right. 90, 95, five. All right. And they were written to real churches just like this is a real church in a physical place. And I have an X that marks the spot. Right there. But it's inside the box. Inside the box of what's called the church age. We live in the church age. I'm not talking about buildings. I'm not talking about programs. I'm not talking about preachers. I'm talking about the church being the called out ones. The ecclesia is the word that those who are followers of Jesus are part of his church. And we are referenced, as I mentioned earlier here, as part of his body. So we live in the church age. These letters are written to churches where that first X is. Now, if I was to ask you, especially in light of like, oh my gosh, what's happening with our world this week, where do you think we're at now if you had to place another X? On that timeline, where would you place another X? I don't know, but I tell you what, weeks like the last few weeks, you sort of feel like the X is where this next one's at. Don't you? You're like, Jesus, come back Jesus, man. This is is nuts. Well, we don't know exactly where we're at on that timeline. Scriptures teach Jesus' reference that no one knows. But I tell you what, I do know that I'm inside the box of the church age. I'm on the other side of the cross, praise Jesus, I, I understand what salvation is, that through him I can have change and redemption in my life, and I long for the day of Christ coming again. We sing the song like we did today, holy, holy, worthy is the lamb that was slain. That's the song we we'll be going to be singing when we get to the new eternity, new heaven and new earth. How many of you want to be in that choir? I want to be in that choir, right? So that's where it's at. This is the context. I say that for this reason. Many times we'll look into scripture and we'll read it like just a historical book. Or is like, well, I don't know if I can relate to that or this or what. Well, these letters to these seven churches at the first part of the book of Revelation were written for real churches, but for real issues, real challenges, and to specific congregations that had a dynamic to them. And so we can learn from what was happening there in that first century with the churches, but we can also learn for today. These were the seven churches. Write down what you see and send it to the seven churches, Jesus said to the Apostle Paul when he was on the island of Patmos. Send it to Ephesus. Here's one for Smyrna. Here's one for Pergamum or Pergamos. Here's one for Thyatira. Here's one for Sardis. Here's one for Philadelphia. And here's one for Laodicea. Now, an event like happened not just with um, the tragedy in Nice, France, but what happened the day after that, with the coup attempt in Turkey, you've been following that one. It's like does it seem the distant land or whatever. Well, guess what? What we're talking about today happened in what country? Turkey. Here's a map of uh, modern day Turkey and Ankara. Is that how you say that? And that is the capital of Turkey. It's not Istanbul, which is at the top. Istanbul at the top is actually where Europe and Asia is separated, if you ever wanted to know that. So that's Istanbul at the top, where they had um the terrorist attack in the airport, what, just a week ago? I mean, we're just moving from one to the next, all right? And so now there was a coup attack here, attempt here. And, you know, overthrowing government, what the government wants, what the people want, those kinds of things, the challenges that are going on. And so we are dealing with real geographical territory when we're talking about these seven um, churches in the book of Revelation. Now, if you take the uh, left part of that from uh, the capital on, uh, you find this map. If we go to the next one, those red circles represent the seven churches. The blue circle represents where John's writing these letters from, from the island of Patmos. The brown lines represent the trade corridors, the highways of that day. Now, does it make sense that Jesus would want the letters sent to those churches? Why? Those churches are major corridors. Commerce and traffic, Europe to Asia, the Middle East, all right? This was busy kind of territory. And in this territory, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which Jesus, right, he lived in Israel, he lived and died and rose again in Jerusalem, right? The gospel begins to spread. The gospel, if you look at the book of Acts and sort of the students on Tuesday night are actually going through the book of Acts and how there's this movement of, of God working. And we see that God is working in this part of Turkey, Turkey or what was called Asia Minor at the time. Now, is this a thriving Christian place today? No. It's not. Time moves on. Things thrive. Things fall apart. All right? We're in the church age. God is at work. But there is truth embedded in the seven letters to the churches in Revelation, according to each one of those, that we can gain for today for our church as well as for our individual lives. In fact, when we sort of had yes, uh, last week and I sort of said, hey, you know, Joe, just take some time, whatever you need. And he took the whole time, which is great. Um, we, uh, I said, you know, I can just bump the series on down the road. So I went to reconfigure it as it's listed on your post. And I got to saying, okay, that would be the last day that we do the church at Laodicea, which I'm really looking forward to that week. Um, but I'm like, you know, the series is not going to be done with Laodicea. We need one more week. I don't know what that week's going to entail yet. I'm going to dig out my ears. You can dig out your ears as well and speak back into my life. I want to know what would Jesus say to the church in Marietta Temecula called the awakening? Because he would have a word for us. Some of his word for us will come back through what he's spoken into some of these other seven churches. But Jesus Christ wants to speak into our church. He wants to speak into your life. What would Jesus say? Here comes Jesus we talked about, walked in, you know, in and, and all of his full glory. And he takes the stage. What would he write to the awakening? Oh, I don't know if I want to listen to God the next few weeks. How about you? No, I do want to listen to him. But I know that when I listen to God, he's not out to destroy my life or discourage us. He's out to give us life the Awakening Church, fully alive in Christ and to His mission, I think it would smile on that mission statement. But then he would probably evaluate how well are we doing with it. You see, Jesus has a purpose for His church. The purpose for His church is, like we mentioned here during sharing time, is to be His body, is to be His presence in this dark, discouraging world. There is no greater hope today in our world than the hope that the church stewards in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to do something about the tragedy and the trauma in our world, you lean in to being a part of the church. Oh, not the programs and just showing up, but being the body, the presence of Jesus. So with that, we turn to the next church that's on this route. It's the church of Thyatira. Do you see that circle? So we got... Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, now we're coming back down uh, on the other side, and that's Thyatira, all right? So this is Thyatira today. Thyatira, uh, we start out uh, what the letter says in um, Revelations 2.18 is this, to the angel of the church in Thyatira write. Now, Thyatira is different than all the other cities that we've been looking at so far. They were some big, you know, metropolitan, cosmopolitan kind of places. They were big, important government places. I mean, think in terms of, you know, some great cities in the United States, all right, where a lot of neat things are happening and you could go there. Or think in places of the government. Go to Washington, D.C., all right? Well, if you landed at Thyatira, you were not going to a big metropolis. You were going to everybody's everyday kind of town. Now, in California here, one town sort of runs into another, runs into another, runs into another, right? But normally, a lot of times, the towns are separated, and you identify with that town. There's probably about 25,000 people in this particular um, town of the day. It's modern-day the Turkish city of uh, Akashar, and um, these are the only ruins that really exist from the original city, Thyatira. Not much. Thyatira was a blue collar town. Thyatira wasn't known for a lot. Thyatira was on its way to Pergamum. In fact, Thyatira was set up by Alexander the Great because it would have been a place that sort of could have held some enemy at bay before they got to the Pergamum, which was up on the hill. All right? It was destroyed and rebuilt several times, Thyatira was. And as a blue-collar town, there existed in that town certain trades that Thyatira was known for. They were known for... um, their bronze smith and silver and the things that they could make by heating furnaces, blazing furnaces hot. And they would uh, make these type of items. Thyatira was also known for its textile ability. In fact, one of the first people, that we, uh, the first converts in Europe was a lady by the name of Lydia, according to scripture, in Philippi. Paul had met her She had met Paul. She had entertained Paul. She committed her life to be a follower of Jesus Christ in Philippi, which was up around the way from Thyatira. But it was said that Lydia was from Thyatira, and she was a maker of purple. Because in Thyatira, the textile industry, they had from minerals and some other ways of getting certain kind of dyes different places, they were able to make brilliant colors, red, purple. And so it was exported to all these other places. Well, in the midst of this blue-collar town, they had what were called trade guilds. And the trade guilds were, well, we sort of maybe know what a trade guild is today, like a trade union, right? But it was more than just the union aspect. It was sort of their place of living and doing life socially, all right? And some things started to happen within those guilds that come back to what Jesus articulates in this letter to Thyatira. But you can go to that town today. It's there. It's in Turkey. It's a um, oh, distance away it's from the capital of Turkey today. But when you see news like that of this week, you say to yourself, I'll be. I wonder if God's still at work in Turkey. He is still at work in Turkey. In fact, uh, I've known some of the forerunners of some of the alliance workers that are missionaries in that area, which is sort of neat to see. But this is the letter angel to the church, and Thyatira, right. And it starts this way. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, what do you think they tie out, tied, into, tied into? Well, first of all, the Son of God, and then Jesus is really the first place that he mentions and lists himself as the Son of God. He shows up in the vision earlier as the Son of Man, identifying with humanity, but the Son of God, he's the Son of God. But do you know that Alexander the Great and the soldiers that day, they, they, the, the known deity that they would follow was Apollo. And Apollo was known as the Son of God. And so here he says to these people, these are the words of the true Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire. What would come to their mind? Their furnaces. And whose feet are like burnished bronze, what they do. So they would sort of give some stock to say, oh, wow. Okay, what, what is this God speaking to us about? And then he says this. He says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance. You have that? Put it up on the slide. We have these things that he's going to walk through. He's going to evaluate the performance, the progress, and the problems Of this church. And he lists these things. He says. I know your deeds. We're going to look at the performance issues here. Your love. Faith. Service. And perseverance. Now when Jesus is saying. I know you. He's not looking at like. You knuckleheads. You're not doing anything. You're not worth anything. He's looking at this church in this blue-collar town and going, wow, your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, and your perseverance. Jesus looks at this church and He admires this church because of opposition, insignificance, whatever it may be. They were a healthy church in many ways. Remember the church at Ephesus? They were challenged because, well, I know a lot of what you're doing, but you have lost your first love. And so he identified that church has lost first love. This church, it has its first love. And it's not only a love for Jesus Christ himself, it's a love for what God wants to do in and through them. That's why your faith and your service and your perseverance. So he identifies some really healthy things with the performance of this church. If Jesus was walking here today, he would probably identify things for us that these are healthy things. What if Jesus showed up at your house? What if he tracked you around in your workplace? What if you got a performance review from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Son of God? What would he say about your life? Most of you go, I'm not measuring up. Hey, chill out. Don't be so hard on yourself sometimes. You're here today, aren't you? You could have done a lot of other things, but you chose to come and worship today. You chose to come and learn about God today. You chose this week to encourage somebody else. Jesus, the Son of God, knows your works and He sees the beauty of your heart and what you're doing. Do not be discouraged. Do not let the adversary beat you up that you're a loser and not worth anything. The Lord knows. Don't let that be a scary thing to you initially, but let it be a wholesome, embracing thing. Because a lot of people you're trying to convince, a lot of people that you want to let them know what your real motives are, they're never going to know. But God knows. Take delight in that. So the performance. The second thing is the progress. He adds this sentence then, And that you are now doing more than you did at first. Whoa! It wasn't like you just established your belief in those kinds of things, but you are now growing. You are maturing. You know, the Christian walk is not a once-and-done deal, is it? It is a maturing process like a child learning to walk and to grow. And Jesus looks at this church and says, wow. I'm just so pleased about how you're knocking it down there in Thyatira. And I'm also extremely pleased with how you're doing more than you did at first. It's just a beautiful thing. And so don't feel like he's like coming down big time heavy. I don't believe on this Thyatira church. He's acknowledging their worth and their value. But then he moves on. He moves on to the problems. And it says this. Verse 20 of Revelation 2. Nevertheless, I have this against you. Oh no, here it comes. Right? I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual morality and the eating of food sacrifice to idols. What's going on here? How many of you have contemplated naming your child Jezebel? <laughs> Why doesn't Jezebel show up on the top baby list, name list, right? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Jezebel was one immoral, wicked, deceiving, conniving lady of Scripture in the Old Testament. And you'd stay away from that name, Jezebel. Jezebel may have been her name, but probably not. Jesus is referring to this woman, this prophetess, this leader in this church that you're tolerating. She's of the spirit of Jezebel. Now, Jezebel in the Old Testament, you can read about it in First 1 Kings. She didn't come out of the tribes of Israel. She was a person from a pagan other kind of king. And she married the king of Israel, Ahab. So Ahab's wife is this lady named Jezebel. And Jezebel corrupted the Jewish faith and the Jewish people. I don't know if her husband Ahab was a a weak, wimpy kind of person. I mean, he he had a lot of bad things going on in his life. He seemed to be influenced by his wife an awful lot. He did repent at one time, those kind of things. But Jezebel, she was just on this trajectory of corrupting and turning things upside down in the nation. She was not a good lady. She basically said, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you can sort of follow this God, Yahweh, or whatever, but you can do all these other things, and it's totally okay. Some of the early spirit of probably Gnosticism was happening there in Thyatira, which was, you know, uh, it's what you know. It's not really what you do. You know, your body's your body. Do with it as you want. All right? She brought sexual morality in. She brought the um, worship Baal or Baal there was corruptness all across the ranks of that administration and she was the primary instigator of it she had like 850 prophets prophetesses that worked with her at one time Elijah the great prophet Elijah in the Old Testament he went after it and he spoke to the whole situation at that time and called out Jezebel But she turned all 850 of her staff on him. He became so scared. I mean, he he was, I, I don't know, I don't know, Elijah, maybe one day I get to talk to him, right? But I think he was scared silly from Jezebel. He was scared so bad, he took off and he ran. He found himself underneath a juniper tree. He was crying out to God, God, just take my life. I want to die. Jezebel, not a good lady. This letter, church at Thyatira. What's going on in the church leadership? Well, there is one in the leadership that is corrupting the body. And you need to deal with it. And you're not dealing with it. Now, some people may say, well, yeah, she's a prophetess. woman shouldn't be in leadership. No, that's not true. Scriptures teach that on the last days, as Joel said, God said, I'll pour out my spirit upon all people, on your sons and your daughters, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even upon your servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days. Scripture is quite adamant that you can have leadership, male and female. It's not gender-specific. But for whatever reason, Jezebel, the jezebel typed here as a prophetess, was working her way and disseminating things and causing this church at Thyatira to head in a bad direction. And they were just all sort of sitting around and going, I know it's bad, somebody should do something about it, but hey, I don't want to rock the boat, we all want to be nice. Right? There was a spirit of tolerance that Jesus saw that made him indignant. What about us today? Is there a spirit of tolerance in our land? Tolerance for evil, tolerance for sin, tolerance for renaming things that are grievous to God, something else. And we sit back and we're just sort of like this. Well, I <laughs> don't want to rock the boat. Just be nice. It's okay. Your thing's your things. My thing's not me. Tolerance seems to be the premier virtue today. I'll give you a couple quotes couple quotes from Robbie Zacharias. Actually, I appreciate a talk he did. Uh, actually, he did a couple years ago. I know he did it at UCLA. And the title of his talk was, Is Tolerance Intolerant? Is Tolerance Intolerant? He says this. He says, Truth cannot be sacrificed at the altar of pretended tolerance. Real tolerance is deference to all ideas not indifference to truth. Should I read that again? Truth cannot be sacrificed at the altar of pretended tolerance. Real tolerance is deference to all ideas, not indifference to the truth. And defined indifference, deference here is submission or courteous respect given to another person. Someone else may have another idea what they're positioning, you know, as what they maybe think is true. But you're, you're not called to sit back and um, be demeaning to that person and be disrespectful to that person. But in that, you don't become mamby pamsy, if you will. It's a Midwest term, maybe they choose around here, I don't know, kind of deal. And, and just, just, oh, well, whatever will be, will be. George Barna did a study of born again Christians, people who are followers of Jesus. 44% of the adults said that there is absolute truth in this world. Only forty four percent said that there's absolute truth. Amongst teenagers, you know what the percentage was? Nine percent. Nine percent of the teenagers think there's an absolute truth by which we're to follow. Now, what's that a product? That's a product of a culture, all right, that has moved away from God, a culture that wants to live, if you will, in lawlessness. Because if you have law, that means there's an absolute by which you must give credence to. Is it any wonder that we're on the drift and the trajectory that we're on? Could it be that we would have an issue, maybe even in our church, in our own personal lives, as the same as the church in Thyatira? We're tolerating things. Because, well, we'd like to speak out on them. We'd like to stand up for truth but we're worried about what other people will say. Or we're worried about maybe some freedoms that will be taken away from our own life because of that. Here's another quote from Ravi. He says this, The truth is that all religions are not the same. All religions do not point to God. All religions do not say that all religions are the same. In fact, some religions do not even believe in God. At the heart of every religion is an uncompromising commitment to a particular way of defining who God is or is not. Buddhism, for example, was based on Buddha's rejection of two of God's fundamental doctrines. Islam rejects both Buddhism and Hinduism. So it does no good to put a halo on the notion of tolerance and act as if everything is equally true. In fact, even all-inclusive religions, such as Baha'ism, ends up being exclusivistic by excluding the exclusivist. The Baja faith, I don't know if you're familiar. It's like everything, let's all put it together. I'm of the Bahá'í faith. Well, wait a second. We put everything together except Christianity, which says we believe in what Jesus said. When Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. Now, it may unnerve you. It may, you may find yourself in an awkward place of, yeah, I know I've got to defend absolute truth Christianity, but I just don't. Friends, don't shy away. Learn, grow, study, and be encouraged by other people around you. You are not in a place where you should be uh, bunkering down and being timid with what you believe. Scripture reveals it. We know it to be true through life experience. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And not all religions are that way. You know, when you look at the Islam religion and a lot of those things there, and I'm not saying this is true of all Islamists, that kind of thing, and how or Muslims and they interpret things, but when it comes to defining the character of God, the Quran just never, never mentions that God is love. That's not the concept that you've got. And so some people say, is the God of Islam the God of Christianity? That's a very good question. Let's study about that. How do we define who is the God that we're worshiping that we believe exists above and outside of time? So tolerance. Tolerance seemed to be a pretty big issue that was going on. It was embedded in what Jezebel was doing and how Jezebel was corrupting that church at that particular time. It goes on and says this in verse 21. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, that all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. There's consequences. There's consequences for the church. If you are unrepentant, you will suffer, you will experience personal pain, and you will receive retribution. It's outlined there. Now, sometimes, like, could we sort of skip this part? Actually, this letter to the church of Thyatira, though it was one of the, of the smallest of the towns, actually had the most words spoken to it. It was the biggest letter. The Smyrna letter wasn't very big, was it? But the letter to the Thyatira, long, because Jesus wanted to drill down on this issue of unrepentance related to their tolerance of that which was of error and not truth. And he says you will suffer. You will experience personal pain. And you will receive retribution in what's going on in your life. And that's definitely true of what would have happened then. Verse 24 says this, though. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. So he's saying, some of you are tolerating this. and You're putting up with the lack of truth, of discipline. You are living sinfully, if you will. I'm going to give you time to repent. God gives us time to repent. So he addresses them, but then he turns to those who are faithful in this great church of Thyatira who is maturing along the way. And he says, those of you who do not hold her teaching, hold on. Hold on to what you have until I come. Put the picture back up there of the timeline. Context. Bad, bad month. Christians, hold on. Hold on to what you have until I come. That's not an escapist thing like, oh, just forget. No, you pour your life in today. You help people. You encourage people. You be the body of Christ. But know this, what carries you from day to day is that there is a time when Jesus will make all things right. He will sit as the judge. He will rule over all the nations. And he says, hold on until I come. Be encouraged by this. Do not go walking around with your head down. Do not be talking to your coworker or the person that you're, you're hanging out with for a, a social outing. And, and just speak ill and discouragement. You speak hope and you speak life because this diagram is true from Scripture. We are in the church age, but Jesus is coming. And Jesus will make all things right. And here's Jesus Himself says, hold on, hold on until I come again. It goes on and says this in verse 24. Now I say to the rest of you, hold on until I come. You will not be burdened. I will not impose any other burdens on you. Jesus is not about weighing you down with rules. See what happens when sometimes we say, "All right, we're going to deal with the Jezebel. We got bad teaching going on in this church. We got other people walking in." Then. People load up on what I call legalism. A bunch of rules. And they turn the relationship into a religion. You been there? Oh, I got to do this. No, Jesus is not saying that. He says, focus on me. He says, I will not impose upon you other burdens. He says, if you are faithful, you will not be overburdened by rules. He wants to fill you with life. And he goes on and he says this in verse 26. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, and he will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. This is a very interesting statement that Jesus himself puts in here. This comes from Psalm 2, and it's a reference to his ultimate messianic leadership. That he will rule with an iron scepter and he will dash to pieces like pottery, all which is evil, and oversee all the nations. This is what's true of Jesus. It's prophesied in Psalm 2. Jesus here flips it around and he says it's true of you and me. If you overcome to the end, guess what? I'm going to give you, yes, peon, little you and me. As redeemed people, we will be given authority over nations. And we will rule and reign with christ we are co-heirs with christ scripture talks about just as i have received authority from my father you as a redeemed person in eternity when that in comes the new heaven and new earth you will be given authority and power and the ability to reign what i'm just a little worker i work down here at the shop i load the warehouse and oh, no, you as a redeemed person that's your destiny So if you are faithful, not only will you not be uh, overburdened with rules, you will rule and reign with Christ in eternity. And here's then the last thing that he says, and this is an interesting thing. He says this, verse 28, I will also give him the morning star. What's that mean? Well, the morning star sometimes references Venus. It's one of the first star there on the horizon that's bright and brilliant. But the morning star, Jesus himself references him. Self as the morning star at the end of Revelation. I am the bright and the morning star. Jesus gives himself to you. If you are faithful, you will dwell in the intimate presence of Jesus. I don't know what your challenges are today. I don't know what they are this last week. I don't know what stands before you this coming week. But I do know that we live life on the brink. On the brink. The last words of this letter, common words unto every one of the letters. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The church of Thyatira, the church at large around the world today, the church in Temecula Marietta called the Awakening, and the church that's represented through your individual life as part of the body of Christ. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church, and he would sum it up this way. And what's going on in the world around you with the issue of tolerance, tolerance, just be nice. Go ahead, don't worry, do things your own particular way. If you are unrepentant, you will suffer, you will experience personal pain, and you will receive retribution. But if you are faithful, you will not be overburdened. With rules, you will rule and reign with Christ in eternity, and you will dwell today in the intimate presence of Jesus to those people part of that trade guild who were just trying to make it from day to day who had this opposition around them who a lot of cool things were happening in their church this letter shows up from the Apostle John that's written by Jesus and he speaks life into them may Jesus speak life into your life no matter where you're at if you've never come to a place of becoming a follower of Jesus today could be the day that you repent. Repent means to turn the direction you're going and turn the other way. It's not a sorry sentimentality. Yes, you're sorry for brokenness and sin, but it's a turning. It's a movement. I turn from this way of living and I turn towards living for Jesus. And He wants to give you life. If you're discouraged, whether by world events, national event, national events, or just discouraged by what's happening in your life this week, you know, I, I found out I have to replace my engine in my car this week. That wasn't fun. My really God come And it's like, Lord, I have life. I have life and I have hope. I have purpose. May Jesus breathe life into you as a follower of Him today. Lord, you know us, you loved us, you redeemed us. You see us. You see us for that which our performance is well doing in your sight, for the progress of but you also see us for the problems at hand. Lord, may we find ourselves turning and yielding to you with repentant hearts and fully embracing the hope. We look forward to that day when we will be co-heirs with you. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.